0: Well, good morning, Mercy Hill Church. Uh, it's good to be up here. Um, not a not a dust statement, but a dust statement. Uh, and Jared alluded to it earlier. Things are pretty negative out there. Uh, it's it's hard to find uh, silver linings in um, in our lives right now. You can't look at news. You can't uh, look. Um, you can't go to Home Depot and feel like that's a positive experience anymore. You can't go to Costco. Uh, we went to a Fresh Market yesterday, and we couldn't even go in without a mask. Things are diff- things are strange. Doesn't mean that silver linings don't exist, as Jared mentioned. It doesn't mean that there there are positive things, but we just have to be intentional in finding them and. Um, these, these types of moments in history, these types of experiences that we we are experiencing now make it make it difficult and yet shapes our world and maybe shapes humanity for for many many years to come there's there's a chance that uh, we will never shake hands again there's there's a chance that when I'm 80 years old, I'll be sitting on my porch telling my grandkids about how we used to meet one another. And they'll give me that, uh, uh, that can't be true look. Parents, I'm sure you, you already know that look. And grandparents, I guess it just gets worse. There, there's a good chance that, that we will not experience things that we once did. On a serious note, I think the way that we do business is, change, is, is going to change. I think the way that we entertain is going to change, and I think the way we do business is going to change. The normal that we once had is, is, is going to disappear, but it's going to create an opportunity for us, an opportunity for us to adapt to a new normal, and I think that could be a good thing. Maybe a, a reprogramming or a reset of, of some of our priorities. For example, how long or how much time have you spent with your family? How much time have you spent having FaceTime, not the Apple FaceTime, but actual FaceTime with your family? How much time have you spent with, with each of your kids as a parent or each of your siblings as a, as a son or daughter, brother or sister? It could be a good thing. We have this opportunity to focus our energy our resources, and our time into the things that really matter, the things that are are worth investing in. When this is all over, we have an opportunity to to rewrite history, so to speak, to rewrite the way that we live and the, the decisions that we make and why we make them. We have the opportunity to accept the realities, the new norms, and choose what to accept and what to not. Well, our story this morning in John chapter 4 is a story about a woman's life who, whose life changes and is never the same. See, her normal changed. Her desires and her love changed. Her mis- mission changed all because of Jesus. She learned that, that Jesus offers a life that is far better than anything this world offers, than the normal that she was used to. She learned that Jesus offers purpose, joy, and contentment. And my prayer this morning, as we read into scripture, as we dig in and we hear from the Lord, my my prayer this morning is that those same lessons can be learned by us together. So I'm going to ask you guys to turn to John chapter 4. We've got a large chunk of scripture, so I'm going to summarize the story, and then we'll hit hit the points together through the story. We've got four lessons that we're going to learn through this encounter that, that the woman has with Jesus. So, so Jesus is weary. Uh, he's just experienced uh, some, some time and, and with, with his disciples, and, and he is, he's weary, he's tired, he's exhausted, and he comes to uh, this well, and he sits at the well. This Samaritan woman walks up, and Jesus says to her, Give me a drink of water. Doesn't sound like a like a too big of a deal. The woman says, "You know, why are you asking me?" Uh, we'll we'll dig into why it is a big deal. But he he goes on to teach her. She she uh, experiences Jesus' teaching. Not really sure what he's saying. He's offering spring of a uh, life, living water. Uh, she's just thirsty, and and Jesus is offering something better. Well. Long story short, she experiences Jesus on a level where Jesus changes her life. And, and she ends up leaving. After meeting Jesus, she leaves and she goes and tells other people about this Jesus. Like her life has been completely changed by this man. No, she even and we'll get into it, but she even leaves her, her her jar that she brought to get water with there without filling it up. Like What she came for, she did not leave with, but what she came for, she left with something far better. And that was Jesus. And so in this story, we have this encounter that this woman has. And so let's, let's look at the, the lessons that we have. The first lesson we have is that when we encounter Jesus, he changes our worldview. When we encounter Jesus, he changes our worldview. We've got the first 15 verses, and I'm going to focus in on verses 7 through will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. When we encounter Jesus, when this woman encounters Jesus, her worldview changes. Imagine you're this woman at the well. Imagine that you're Coming in the middle of the day, it says the six hours, so hot, the hottest part of the day, 12 o'clock, give or take, you're coming because of some reason. There's a reason why she hasn't come in the morning and she's not coming in the evening, but she's coming right in the middle of the day. And you come to this well and there's this man, you have no idea who he is. He's sitting at this well, he's tired, he's exhausted, he's at this well, he has no, no, no jar, nothing to put water in, and he says, woman, give me a drink of water. Now this is, this is someone she knows what she knows about this man is that he's a Jew. The problem here is that Jews do, do not associate with people from Samaria and vice versa. A little background history when the northern territory of Israel was, um, was conquered uh, the Assyrians conquered them, they drove all and drove and took all the Israel, Israelites out from the Northern Territory, and those that remained stayed, not a many, but those who stayed and were able to stay for whatever reason, uh, settled, settled with the, the people who, who lived in, and moved into that territory, got married and adopted some of their religious practices. Um, and so Jewish people looked on the Samaritans as half-breeds, uh, it was not okay for them to associate with one another. Uh, it was not okay because uh, the religious people, the religious, the Jewish leaders said, you know, they don't follow the same religion we do, even though they're similar. They don't follow the same religion we do, therefore we can't have anything to do with them. The Samaritans were despised, rejected, hated, uh, and so they <laughs> returned the, the favor, so to speak. Some would call them half-breeds, but... Nonetheless, it was taboo for Jesus to be talking to this woman. And she knows this. So she's she, you, if you're imagining that you're this woman, you go, why is this guy talking to me? Does he not know who I am? And I certainly know who he is. He asked for a glass of water. He asked for water. And her only response that she could give him was, an iras- was a rational and obvious response. Well, sir, you... Why are you asking me? How could you ask me this question? How could you be speaking to me? Why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. This doesn't make any sense. And then later in verses 11 and 12, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? She had nothing to respond but rational common sense. You don't have a bucket. You don't have a pail. You don't have a jar. And why are you talking to me? This was her worldview at that moment. What Jesus was asking her and how Jesus was talking to her didn't make sense to her. She stared at the circumstances that was in front of her, and she could not see past them. This man, this human being, this person doesn't have a bucket, and this Jew is is talking to me and asking me to do something for him. As we'll learn in a little while, like this woman has, has had five husbands. The person she's with now isn't her husband. She's probably despised within her group of people and within the people of, within the Samaritans. So this person is, is, is low. This woman is low. But here's the thing. How many of us are, are frozen or are staring at our circumstances and can't look past them? How many of us this morning or today or this week have said, I can't see how any good can come from this pandemic that we're experiencing? How, how many of us are, are, have said or asked or, or, or thought in the back of our mind, I can't handle being around my family one more day? Or how many of us have said, I, I'm fine, I don't need anyone. Each of those are all lies built on our Current circumstances are your current circumstances. And all that worldview does, all that view of your circumstances and unable to look around those brings despair and doubt and fear and faithlessness. But Jesus, Jesus changes that. What does Jesus offer? Look at what Jesus offers He offers living water. Living water. Another term for living water, eternal life. Another term for eternal life is Jesus. This isn't living water because if you drink it, you'll have life. It's living water because of the source, and that source is Jesus. See, this isn't a physical drink it and you'll never be thirsty again, although that was her response. Jesus is offering a relationship. He's offering his, his, himself to her, a relationship with him where he will never give up. He'll never give up on her, and he'll never give up on you. He will never run out. He will never leave. And this is what we need. Human beings, mankind, we need this. We need Jesus. We need him. We are empty, and we need filling Water is vital to our life, and that is why this analogy works so, this illustration works so well for Jesus. He is the living water, and he is offering himself. We can live, what, three weeks without food, but only three days without water? This is the lens that that Jesus is inviting us to look through, the fact that we need him. This is the lens that, that we can trust him and that he's in control no matter what. As Jared prayed earlier that we can have peace in the struggle. Don't buy the lies that tell us that what we have in this life, what you have in this life, what you hold on to is enough. That the world has all you need. Don't don't buy that lie. Because it offers temporary, shallow, shame, guilt, and pain. It does not fulfill. But Jesus, the living water, offers life, abundant life. A life without limits of joy and contentment. Imagine being filled with joy and contentment in the darkest of times in your life. Don't buy the lie. That what you can find here on earth and what you're losing here on earth is, is enough. And don't be distracted by the circumstances. Look past the circumstances and look and see what Jesus is doing and what he's offering. Back in, back in chapter 3, we had Jesus confronting Nicodemus. And if you remember Nicodemus, he had a he had struggle. His struggle was how does a person become born again? Born twice? That doesn't make any sense. He was distracted by the circumstances. And now this woman is distracted by those circumstances. And the temptation, if we, if we continue to be distracted by these circumstances and talk about how, how, how bad they are or, or rough it is or whatever, and we don't move past and we don't look the way that Jesus is looking and working, We become paralyzed by those same circumstances and those same struggles. And we can't sing the songs about struggle and sacrifice and pain and suffering and be full of joy. Jesus Jesus changes our worldview and he reminds us of our need for him. Not just the people at Mercy Hill Church or not just those who, who, who are called Christians, but mankind's need is Jesus. Mankind, human beings need rescuing. And when we understand that, our sympathy and our empathy grows for those around us who who may not have what we have or may not have the, the abilities that we have. Because we know our need and we know that Jesus fulfills that need and meets that need because he is the living water. Second lesson is when we know Jesus, when we know Jesus, he becomes the object of our worship. We're going to pick up reading in verse 16. We'll read through 26. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband what you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers on this, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. I who speak to you am he. When we know Jesus, he becomes the object of our worship. If you remember, Brad has pointed this out in multiple sermons in the sermon series in John, but the purpose and the reason why John is writing this letter is found in John chapter 20. And he's writing this letter so that one, you would know that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, and that two, that you would believe in him. That the audience would know he's the Messiah, that know that he's the Savior, and that you would believe in him. This is the purpose. And so for us, when we know Jesus, he becomes the object of our worship. When we know him. Jesus is, is here in our, in, our, in our engagement between him and the woman. He's, he's taking another opportunity to deconstruct religion. He just did it with Nicodemus just days ago. He's deconstructing religion by inviting her into his life, inviting her to be part of his story. See, what religion does is it emphasizes ritual, practice, performance. That's what the Jewish people did. That's what the Jewish religion is all about. That's what most religions are all about is practice, performance, ritual. There's no relationship. But what Jesus does is he invites her. He seeks her out. He invites her in. And the Jewish religion would not do that because she was from Samaria and she was a Samaritan. The important part to understand here is that back in chapter 3 with Nicodemus, we learn that this message that Jesus, this invitation that Jesus is giving is an invitation for the religious. But now in chapter 4, it's also for the despised, the hated the rejected, the mocked. The gospel, the truth, the message is for her her too. It's for her. It's for me and it's for you. The beautiful truth is that Jesus is saying, you too can know me. You too can experience me. You too can worship me. Jesus knew her story. She knew who who she was. He's the one who's saying, you are right. You have had five husbands, and now this one's not your husband. This man that you're with is not your husband. He knew exactly who she was. And he he still invited her in to this relationship. He didn't try to to change her. He didn't try to, to make her into somebody that she wasn't. He invited her just as she was into this relationship but look at her immediate response she's still not getting it just in our story she's not there yet and she pulls out the oldest trick in the book she changes the subject. look at it in verse uh, look at in verse uh, 19. The woman said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, compliments him. And then she says, our father's worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus just said, I know who you are, just called her out on some of her darkest secrets or darkest past stories, her skeletons in the closet, so to speak. She's maybe embarrassed. She maybe just wants to sound smart. And so she, she changes the subject and brings this, this argument about uh, worshiping, where should we worship, or where can, where's the right place to worship, and, and all of it doesn't really matter at this point. It's not the important part of this story. But no matter what she is doing, she is protecting herself. Self-preservation eliminates the awkwardness and the, the conviction and the, the pain and she's changed the subject. And she's, she's protecting herself, and in turn, she's worshiping herself. I, I, I can't handle this anymore. I'm more important than this. I need to change the subject. I need to stop this, this, this pain that I'm experiencing. That self-preservation that, that she, is, she is showing, puts, put, she puts her trust in herself. She's believing the lie that I'm the only one that can save the day. And that's what self-preservation does. But Jesus says, true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. So he's gone past the where to worship and he's, he's unwrapping for her this, this beautiful thing of, of anybody can worship Jesus if they do it in spirit and in truth. So spirit is the dependence on somebody else, a power that we don't have, a dependence on God. Worshiping in spirit requires that we understand who we are. Verse 24 says says that God is spirit. And truth is to know him, to know Jesus, and to know that he is the Savior, and he is the rescuer, and that he is inviting us into relationship. They're like the two stripes down the road. You have the the uh, you know white stripe on the on the on the median on your right side, and then you have a yellow stripe on the on the left side, on the driver's side. And you could drive down the road anywhere you want. You could drive down the road on uh, you know over one line and probably get to where you're going, but it may not be safe. It may not it's not it's it's against the law. It may not be the right thing to do. It may not be the appropriate thing to do. It may not be the best thing for you to do. But if you stay within the lines, that's the best thing because you know you're going to get there where you're trying to go. This is the same in spirit and in truth. Knowing our need and our dependence on someone else, God, and then knowing that Jesus is that person He's inviting us into a relationship, knowing that He is the Savior. True worshipers know their need. They understand who they are. They know that, that Jesus is their only hope from their brokenness. True worshipers know Jesus, and they know what He has done for them. And for true worshipers, Jesus becomes the object of their worship. Scripture tells us that God is looking for true worshipers, and Jesus is inviting them into that. He's he's looking for true worshipers, those who are willing to give up everything because Jesus is better. Because what Jesus offers is life, what Jesus offers is peace, and contentment, and joy, and purpose. Things that you can't find anywhere else. We've looked. We've tried to find it. And Jesus invites all of us into that story with Him, into His story, the greatest story. Notice in verse 28 she got it, she left, and she left without the jar. I'll read in verse 27, and hit 28. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you to seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This woman immediately left. What she came for, she came for water and she left the, the vessel, the tool that she brought to get that water because what Jesus offered was far better. Her life had been changed. So much so that she couldn't wait to get back. She couldn't wait to tell people. She couldn't wait to go and tell them, hey, this, this person just changed me. This person told me everything about myself. He told me my story. He knew exactly who I was. But Jesus had given her exactly what she needed. Jesus completed her. She needed to be made whole again. She needed, to be, uh, she needed a new identity. She needed to be cleansed. She needed to have, have that old removed and, and this new identity now in Jesus. That's what she needed. She needed to be rescued from herself and from her sin. And he gave her life. He gave her exactly what she needed. Gave her meaning, fulfillment, purpose. Purpose. Because he gave, him, gave her himself, this living water. She came looking for water and left with life, abundant life. She came as a despised Samaritan and left a true worshiper of God. Because Jesus became the object of her worship. She immediately went and told people about this man. When we know Jesus, he becomes the object of our worship. Because we know our need. We know our need. And we know where we find that need. Spirit and in truth, Jesus, Savior. So the question for you this morning, and for all of us, is is do you know Jesus? Jesus. Do you know him? Have you been invited into his story? Have you heard him call? Have you heard him say, I am offering you life? Do you worship him? Do you know your need? And has your story become his story? And has his story become your story? Our third lesson this morning is when we love Jesus, our mission becomes evident and urgent. Evident and urgent. We see this woman, she runs back and tells her her family, her friends, the people in in, in the village maybe or where she lives, she lives. She says to them, guys, you cannot believe this. I met somebody. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one we've been waiting for? He told me everything about myself. He told me my story. He knows my darkest secrets. When we love Jesus, our mission becomes evident and urgent. One of the attractions that I have for sports, or or a couple attractions, there's two main ones, is, is one, there's a part of me that, that thinks I can still do it. So I watch sports and go, oh yeah, I could probably do that, which isn't true, especially at 44 years old. But uh, there's a part of me I'm, I'm measuring, trying to see. Uh, but the, the, the more important part is, is the emotional investment. The, the, the fan, right? The fan. Things go crazy because there, there's an emotional investment. The players have worked Tirelessly to get to where they are. There's there's nothing like those moments in sports when the emotions are released. I can remember watching my fan, you know Chicago Bulls in the in the late '90s and winning uh, world championship after world championship, and the first one was incredible because they years before they had kept getting beat by the Pistons. I was watching a video yesterday of of Randy Moss, who's uh. Top 10 wide receiver of all time in the NFL. And he, uh, the video is, is him getting a knock on his hotel room, and the, uh, the, the guy who oversees the Hall of Fame, the National Football League Hall of Fame, is knocking on the door, and it's, it's basically this moment where he finds out that he's getting into the Hall of Fame. So he's, so Randy Moss has gotten, reached this pinnacle of his career. The best of the best are in the Hall of Fame, and now he is getting this, the news that he has made it into the Hall of Fame, that people have voted and said, yes, this is one of the top wide receivers of all time. He needs to be in the Hall of Fame, and, and he's getting the news. And the guy has this, you know, he has this script that he, he's memorized, and on behalf of the Hall of Fame and the National Football League Hall of Fame, I'd like to, like to um, congratulate you, da-da-da-da-da, right? Randy Moss immediately breaks down into tears and just starts just crying. You can just see his body shaking. All this emotion, all this hard work, everything he's put into has all culminated to this point and it's just a flood of emotion. This is this flood of joy. In our last section of this, this, this chapter or this text... Jesus is teaching that the greatest joy, so even greater than than any emotion that we have experienced or any emotion that we have seen, the greatest joy of knowing Jesus is sharing him. Greater than anything else that we have experienced. In the midst of of the disciples misreading the room, let's read real quick. So the disciples come. They don't ask him anything, right? We've read that. They don't, they don't check in and go, you know, why, why are you talking with her? So verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? the disciples have missed it. Have lose my book. The disciples have, have missed. Um, they've misread the room. Has anyone given him food? Again, they're looking at the circumstances. But what Jesus is saying is doing the work of God is better than food. It's far better than, than the, the enjoyment of food, the joy of food. So, so just back up a little bit, so what we have is we have Jesus saying, living water, you will not thirst again, and now Jesus is saying, he, he doesn't have to eat. Well, we know that Jesus is fully human, so he's not talking physically, he, he is wearied, he is thirsty, he is hungry. What is he talking about? Well, let's, let's start in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it it. Verse 3 says that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word of the Lord. But we can't can't just read that and go, okay, we'll just depend on, on God's word. Well, right before that, God is reminding his people that he has provided for them. He's provided manna for them. He has provided what they needed. And so God provides for our needs, and he does it. He says he's going to do it. And he does it. He says it to Israel and he does it. And he says it to us because he is the promise maker and the promise keeper. See, Jesus is, is speaking here in, in spiritual terms though. It is far better to be part of his work than to even enjoy food. It is far better to be part of what he is doing. But his work can only be done by knowing that he's already at work. This isn't a, a, a guilt-ridden, we have to do more, we have to be better. This is a, how can we join him in what he's already doing and accomplishing? Because that's what he's talking about. Some have reaped and others have sown. Some have sown and others have reaped. We must know that he's at work. And join him in his mission, which becomes our greatest joy. And this mission that we have as followers of Jesus, this mission that we have is, is made evident and clear by his word. Not by my word, not by anybody else's word, not by somebody's opinion, but by God's word. And he, Jesus is reminding us and reminding his disciples then their, of their mission in this encounter. The beautiful thing about this, this encounter for the woman is, is that it doesn't end with her. It doesn't end with, with her leaving. It doesn't end with her walking away from the well. It continues because what does she do? We've already, just, we've already mentioned it. He, she goes and tells others and then those others come and find Jesus. Her story doesn't end where when she, she leaves. God's mission becomes her mission. And she immediately goes and tells others. And her story becomes their story. And she invites them into her story, which invites her into, invites them into God's story. Look at the last part of so our verse 39. for her, there was, no, uh, there was no plan of salvation. There was no um, proper training. She just told her story. She told her story and, they, and they, they believed. This is the call, this is the mission that we have as Christians. God is already at work. So how can we share our stories? How can we, as followers of Jesus, worshipers, true worshipers of Jesus, in spirit and in truth, share our stories today? Well, don't plan it out. Don't organize it. Don't, don't plot it out or, or chart it out. Just pray. Just pray. Pray. And we will see the harvest. His handiwork, His work, His mission that He invites us into, the relationship with Him, to work with Him, the reaper and the sower together rejoicing His handiwork, and we will rejoice with Him. And that joy will pale in comparison to any sporting event, any emotional high that you've ever experienced. Pray. That's the call this morning for us, is to pray. And ask God to show us his mission. Because when we love Jesus, our mission becomes evident and urgent. Our last lesson is a summary of all four of them. Jesus is calling people to love him, to know him, and to encounter him. Jesus is calling people, all types of people, the religious, the non-religious, the rich, the poor, the black, the white, the middle class, the struggling, the, the, the on and on, the educated, the uneducated. Across the gamut, Jesus is calling people to love him, to know him, and to encounter him. Some of us this morning need to repent for buying the lies Buying the lies that, that, that I'm okay just doing, just, just surviving. Buying the lies that, that I am enough. Buying the lies that surely God is not at work in this time. Some of us need to repent of those lies. Some of us need to, re- need to repent of, of complacency. Of, of selfishness and of self-worship. And I don't, I don't mean like crazy self-worship. I just mean when we seek our own Fulfillment, we, we live for ourselves, we are worshiping ourselves. The reality is, in this story, that the woman came thirsty and she left fulfilled. Because her thirst changed. She was no longer thirsty for the water that was in that well. She was thirsty for something that only Jesus could fulfill. Some of us, some of us don't thirst for God. Some of us need to pray that that our our thirst would be revived. (laughs) That the desire to to see people meet Jesus, that desire to meet Jesus and encounter him daily would be rekindled, that we would thirst for him. So for, for us this morning, pray, seek God, ask him, and he'll show you. He'll show all of us what we need to do. Because he is faithful. Because he is good. Because he is life. He is the living water. And he invites us into relationship with him. He invites us into relationship with him. I'm going ask you guys to pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, and I thank you that you're doing a work, even when we don't acknowledge it, even when we don't see it, even when we ignore it, that you are at work. Forgive me for not believing that all the time. Forgive me for accepting things as is and just assuming the worst. I pray, God, that you would soften all of our hearts, that we would hear from you, and that each person who hears this message would seek you first, because what you offer us is far better than anything this world has to offer. Help us. We need you. We need you to lead, we need you to guide us, we need you to direct us, but most importantly, we need the life that you offer through Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.